first of all, how do I correctly address you? Um, just Mohammed, I'm very informal. Um, mm. If you really want um, the title, it's Sheikh Dr. Mohammed Al Hussein. <laughs> just, just Mohammed, honestly, I'm, I'm really, really informal. And, That's and my position is Senior Fellow in Islamic Studies at the Westminster Institute. So right. that's my okay. job title. Okay, that's so right. you are an imam, but you, you're not an imam in a mosque then, I'm gathering. Is that right? I don't have a congregation. No, no. I'm, I'm an academic. Right. I've, I've uh, okay. you know, I only, I only kind of perform an honorific role as a clergyman, even though I'm qualified. I, uh, most of my time is, is Islamic studies, research and counterterrorism and interreligious engagement and pluralism and that kind of thing. Oh. So I'm an academic primarily. I see. Right. So, I mean, we should talk about the serious things as well, but should we can yeah. I just ask first, though, what brought on the idea of, is it... Of making it, is it your debut as a comic? Because you have stood up, yes. you've stood in front of an audience before. We're coming to that, but um, what, what brought this on? Uh, well, essentially, I was contacted by my very dear friend, Rabbi Dr. Michael Hilton. Um, oh. I used to be a um, research fellow at Leo Beck College, uh, the rabbinical college uh, uh, in, in Finchley, and Michael and I are good friends. And he just got in touch with me saying that uh, the JW3 were holding a Jewish um, comedy festival and there was, as part of the program, uh, this act for uh, an imam, a rabbi and a priest to come on stage and debut in stand-up comedy. And they were looking for the for the Muslim clergyman. So, you know, would I be up for it? And of course, you know, I'm always up for a challenge. And especially if it comes from the Jewish community who are mm -hmm. kind of my family, then I was I was honoured and delighted to do that. So um, it was it was actually a rabbi friend of mine that um, that signposted me to it. Oh, so right. I'm honoured to be part of this uh, initiative. Um, I, gu I guess you know, in many respects, my friends would say my life is just one great big joke anyway. So <laughs> so it's it's kind of a natural extension of of um, you know how I am, and um, yeah, I mean I I'm a hab haberdasher's boy. Um, so we kind of grew up with kind of a raucous, um, um, guttural humour anyway. So, so it's just, it's just, it just kind of, you know, it's part of part of growing up really right. for me. And what's interesting that's coming out of that for me as well as your uh, your lovely smiley personality um, and a little bit of self-deprecation there, which I'm sure is um, not really called for. Is that um, you've obviously you, you've been at Leobeck College. Habs is known that we're talking about Haberdash as school. It's not just it's also obviously it's known for its scholarship, but it also has an awful lot of Jewish kids in it as well. Mm. And mm. so you you've obviously been easy with members of the other Abrahamic faith, especially the Jews. Um, you've got this wonderful relationship with us. I think that's fantastic. Um, well, I'm honoured by that. As I have to say. You know, um, it's actually a, a bit more extreme than you, you say. I mean, my, my family have quite consciously um, and uh, determined, you know, for both myself and my and my, my sister to, to kind of uh, rear us in a cosmopolitan and educated sort of background. And, and they they actually wanted to make sure that we, we had actually minimal contact with the Muslim community. And so, you know, I've grown up with with uh, Jewish friends since I was six, seven years old uh, and and Christian friends and half my friends are Jewish and the other half are Christian. And I have no Muslim childhood friends. So so the Jewish and Jewish friends and Christian friends, they're like my brothers. And we've we've just grown up and they're part of the family. And 
um, you know, coming from a medical family, my dad always kept a, a set of kashrut compliant um, crockery and cutlery for his doctor colleagues. So we've grown up having uh, Jewish friends and family in, in, in the house, and it's just part of how I've grown up. And so coming out of Habs, actually, into the big wide world was actually a bit of a shocking experience to, to, to see how um, in the outside world, um, there are actually Muslims who've never met a Jewish person, and there's all this kind of bizarre um, conspiracy theorizing and extraordinary anti-Semitism, which is something I, I found, you know, deeply disturbing. Um, um, and, you know, I started life as a medic, so I went to medical school and um, stayed in medical, uh, clinical academic medicine for quite a few years. So so all of, all of that... Um, um, meant that uh, I, I grew up around um, colleagues of different backgrounds and worked together, and it was all quite normative. And it was only later in life when I, I went off to uh, to Egypt to train as an imam, and then came back and um, you know left medicine and and have been working in the interreligious context. That I've experienced a very different uh, culture, which is that of people being divided and not talking to each other and holding all these grudges and um, and and suspicions with relation in relation to one another and and that's always been completely the opposite of the very happy childhood experience I had growing up in Habs and you know growing up through university and all the rest of it so and so I, I think it's so important that in our in our little you know North London Hertfordshire bubble, uh, we are able to just recognise we have a situation where in in our schools and and in our universities we have Hindus and Sikhs and Jews and Muslims and Christians from families that are you know middle class yeah has to be said middle class you know wanting to do better for themselves they're growing up together they're 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 nurturing their children together i grew up you know going to the to the bar mitzvahs of my my friends and then the uh the chuppah and then the brit of their children you know it's just the normal life cycle we've shared together and that is so important because it sets up um the possibilities uh for for a, a future that is very very different to the current world that we have today well, that that was an amazing um, riff there. Couldn't couldn't get a word in edgeway. How are you? I'm so sorry. It's all right. No, no, I didn't want to. It's fine. I was fascinated. Um, you know, you sort of half you give me hope. Um, the other half, I'm just trying to steer this back to comedy. Now, how are you going to spin some comedy out of all these interesting experiences that you've had and your Welt and Schauing worldview and your experience? Have you already written your set? What what are you going to can you give me a little preview? Well, I'm kind of thinking um, about how to frame this because you know one of the things you you have in a in a medical education is you develop a very dark sense of humour. You know when you spend your time growing up with a bunch of medical students cutting up dead bodies and talking about death and so on. Medical students typically have quite a quite a um, a scatological and dark sense of humour anyway. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I'm now working in a field that is really quite dark in terms of uh, counterterrorism and counter extremism. I'm working with generals and, and um, military folk, you know, in the field of counter extremism. Again, there's kind of all that taboo humor about, you know, is suicide bombing funny, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so so I, I, I guess 
I guess one of the things that um, the professional comedian who's kind of been coaching us talked about was how to frame your intrinsic sense of the absurd and also a certain amount of taboo into humor that is still tasteful and 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 funny um i mean and and i guess there's an underpinning that comes that filters through the habs humor uh which is which is kind of the jewish humor that is self-deprecating that carries the burden of tragedy of of jewish history in it and 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 i guess all those all those things have influenced um uh, the kind of things that that that, that I do. I mean, I, I'm. I have to say, you know, one. I, I'm a bit. I have a bit of a penchant from school days uh, for 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 practical jokes. So that's that's kind of been the background. So I nearly got kicked out of medical school for taking a sheep into a lecture and all that kind of stuff. So all the usual doctor in the house sort of business. Yeah. And and so um, there's a natural kind of immaturity and schoolboyishness that that informs the way. That I, I interact with the world generally, yeah. and it's kind of compensating for some of the challenges of the work that we that we do. Mm. Um, but uh, but you know, I guess it's all those all those influences that naturally come together. And the person um, I will forewarn friends, uh, the person who's been training us, um, you know, Jean Luc, he did say, you know, don't be afraid to do the taboo on stage. I think it's. It's a wonderful apposition between your statuses as clergymen mm. um, or clergywomen and and being able to engage the darker and the more taboo uh, to be able to, to, to do that. So you're not a very conventional cleric then, are you? And I want to really do need to talk about this other aspect of your career that I've discovered. You have the voice from heaven. And I'm sure you do use it to sing in Arabic because there's some beautiful music when, when people sing the Quran. But I have found it because you're a prize-winning singer in, in, is it actual Gaelic or some form of Gaelic? Stunningly beautiful songs about um, old Celtic myths. <coughs> um, so how, and how on earth did that come about? And I believe you are either learning or, or now have accomplished some learning on the fiddle. As well, you know, I, I've actually been playing violin since I was I was six years right, old. Right, okay. So, so I, folk I, I've been fiddle, playing in orchestras yeah. and, and all the rest of it. So I oh, went through okay. went through life, did all my classical grades, and mm. played in orchestra through 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 university. But you know, it was again, it was just part of it was just kind of another school subject, really. And uh, it was you know a lovely thing, and and I I did sing a bit in chapel choir at university, um, but it, it it never really did it for me. And and I guess it's it's part of that. I think it comes out of out of a certain amount of um, youthful rebellion against the the snottiness of my upbringing, you know, and okay. and so at university I actually found um, well I'd always loved Irish folk music, but but necessarily not having a drop of Celtic blood in me, I felt I I, I didn't feel entitled to participate in it. Um, but during university time, you know, the I, I, I felt slightly out of place. There, you know, I'm quite a down-to-earth sort of bloke, really, and um, and so the happiest place for me was actually um, in the Irish pub at the East End of Town. I don't drink, which is which is kind of a bit of a problem when you ha when you're an honorary Irishman. Yes. But, um, yeah. but you know, I enjoyed music, and and I I started to play folk fiddle uh, as an undergraduate, and then um, there was you know lots of things with life and work and ups and downs and so on. But then very very much later in life. I said, you know, I've loved this tradition for such a long time. I've grown up with Irish friends from from youth, and and I love the love the music. So, um, you know, and then I made an approach 
after a lot of things happening in life, I, I, I made the approach to the London Irish Centre and encountered this wonderful um, folk fiddle player I call Karen Ryan. She's a brilliant folk fiddle player. And uh, she's been teaching me. So, I mean, first of all, folk fiddle is actually a really a completely different instrument to classical mm, violin, even I though thought, it's yeah. physically the same instrument. So the way you play is 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 substantially different. So, um, so it is like learning a new instrument in many respects. But it's been a wonderful privilege. And so I, I learn advanced folk fiddle with her now. And then um, just the mute singing actually came out really by accident because I'm, I'm primarily a fiddle player. But I was. As an imam, you are trained. Um, I, in fact, I was trained from boyhood. You know, you learn how to recite the Quran just as you, you know, just as for your bar mitzvah, you'd learn how to cantillate Torah. And then during my imam training in Cairo at Al Azhar Sharif, you 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 get trained in the art of of tajweed, the 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 classical art of recitation of the Quran. And um, ironically, uh, one of the things about traditional sham uh, nos or or unaccompanied a cappella. Uh, Irish singing is that it's extremely oriental in its character. So it could come from any any Sephardi uh, or Mizrahi or, or Arab Islamic um, context, actually. Um, and so um, I was introduced by uh, by my fiddle teacher to uh, to her uncle um, Pat Conley, who's a brilliant Shannon uh, singer from Connemara. And, you know, we just had a go and I, you know, sung some Irish songs and I just absolutely loved it. And, and people said, you know, you've got a nice voice and, and just keep, keep going with that. So I've been learning with him and I now uh, I've been learning the Irish, taking classes in the Irish language. So I've been learning, learning Irish Gaelic. Um, you know, to do it properly and, and pronounce it properly. And of course, because you've gone through, an, you know, if, as, as rabbi colleagues will say, because if you've gone through a, a rabbinate or imamate uh, training in cantillation, you know how important it is uh, to get things absolutely just so and get the caesuras and the, the style of singing just so. So it's really important to me and to us uh, that we, we do things properly. And so, you know, learning the language and, and learning to training in Shannos is something I want to want to get right. And, uh, you know, alongside the Jewish community, the other community that's kind of taken me in as kind of this waif orphan that's appeared on their doorstep is the Irish musical uh, community. And I, I can't tell you um, how much it means to me um, to, to belong somewhere, because, as I've said, you know, I've, I've never really belonged anywhere. And, and especially because I shoot my mouth off about Muslim extremism, so on. I, you know, I've obviously got into a certain amount of trouble and I criticism wondered about for that. that. So, yeah. so yeah. between the Jewish community and the Irish community, these two two peoples have sort of adopted this this eccentric and rather odd little man as mm -hmm. as one of their own. And I, I feel so honoured and so blessed. Mm -hmm. And you know, Hashem has truly truly blessed me in the friends that He's given me in my life. So. Mm -hmm. You, you speak so beautifully. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how you're going to do a 10-minute set, mind you, because there's no stopping no, you once sure. you start. I think people might be in for rather more than 10 minutes. You've been very self-deprecating. You haven't really said that you actually have won prizes for this singing. But I actually wanted to just put that out there. But also just wanted to ask you, have you got a small joke or riff, a little preview that you could give us yet at all of your set? I'm writing my stuff. I, I'm, we're just in the middle of a, of a project, actually, um, actually peculiarly bringing together 
uh, elements from my counter-extremism work and also the Irish stuff, because the Irish stuff's kind of acquired its own momentum. So we're now working on a um, project uh, to do with um, fostering, if you like, reciprocal pluralism in the Northern Ireland, or, or more broadly, the Irish context, um, and, and trying to respond to some of the terrible things that are happening across Europe uh, with with backlash um, against uh, against you know uh, the, the the problems of migration and Islamist extremism and so on. So peculiarly, the, this is all all kind of happened at the same time. So the stand up comedy is going to be very much kind of off the cuff, which I think is probably the best way uh, to do it. But uh, but that's that's how it is. But you know, one of the things you know, just to share one of my favourites. One of my my favorite Jewish chat up line, okay. and I always use this <laughs> in in teaching teaching rabbis is 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 the one that goes. They call me Shabbos Goy because I can really turn on your lights, and <laughs> and that kind of that's kind of why you know when I'm kind of exposing or doing an exposition of of Islamic texts, um, I, I kind of use that because it, it shows how we're kind of connected to one another as as. As somebody who's who's non non Jewish, um, one of the things I've always found is 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 by bringing uh, Islamic and indeed other um, scriptures into apposition to the study of Jewish scriptures, one enlights the other. So yeah, I I, I am the Shabbosky in that respect. So, <laughs> okay, yeah, well that that's fair enough. Have some material to share with you. Mm, well, thank you very much for sharing that. And um, you wouldn't just like to give my listeners a quick burst of your beautiful voice, would you? Because uh, it is so <laughs> completely gorgeous. I don't know if you're if you're warmed up enough to do that. But I'm just so impressed. Okay. I don't know how, how the sound quality is going to come across, but I'll, I'll, I'll have a go. That's completely beautiful. I have to say, you can see the the, the minor fall of the Gaelic, and as, as you said, the control. is It is very interesting because um, it does sound a bit like the cantillations or like when I've heard people singing um, from the surahs of the Quran. So I can see that, there's, mm -hmm. that they're exactly why you would be awfully good at all of it. Well, I have to thank you for your time. I know that you're unbelievably busy because you're literally going off to Belfast first thing in the morning. You've got to research that. Never mind, write your set for next week. So um, I wish you all the very best, and I hope that um, it goes brilliantly next week. It's good. That it's not competitive, is it? But um, <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, <laughs> that would be my bad. Goodness, I hope not. So. <laughs> no, I'm sure it will be a wonderful, wonderful experience for everybody there, and I, and I hope that. You, well, I'm sure you're going to get a packed out house, and I hope the packed out house has uh, people from all three Abrahamic faiths, all comedy lovers, and uh, you know, thank you so much, and good luck in Northern Ireland as well. 
Thank you so very much, Judy. It's an absolute honour. Thank you. God bless. Hi, this is Rabbi Debbie Young Summers at the Movement for Reform Judaism. Very brave, Rabbi Debbie Young Summers, aren't you? <laughs> You're a comedy virgin, aren't you? That's I the am. point. I am a very much a comedy virgin, and I'm terrified. <laughs> I, I, when I got the phone call, I thought, oh, that sounds really fun. Sure, why not? And then I hung the phone up, and my stomach started to churn. I thought, what have I done? But, you know, should be uh, excruciating but fun. <laughs> You've never done anything remotely like this. Well, it depends uh, what you mean by like this. I did a lot of theatre in my teens and um, I think the Rabinette contains a mixture of of theatre and performance and I try to make things funny when I can and try to make things joyful when we can. Um, I would probably class myself more as a storyteller than a comedian um, and I enjoy getting a laugh four stories around the Shabbat table it's just transferring that onto a stage and having a whole 10 minute set that's terrifying it doesn't sound long but I bet it is when you're up there yeah um it's I mean it's the length of a sermon roughly (laughs) is how I'm thinking about it that's brilliant it it does seem daunting 10 minutes but I think it will probably go quite quickly I think so too so are you preparing stuff as we speak I suppose you must be have you got sort of things mapped out because obviously you can't presumably stand up there with a bit of paper so the idea is to not stand up there with paper. I've been making notes so far of, of anecdotes that I think might work and working with our comedy coach to try and create links and, and look at how we tell the tales and make them more comedic or um, use timing and whatever the, the tools of comedy. Um, but I think at some point I'm going to have to write the whole thing out like a sermon and then reduce it down to much shorter notes and try to basically learn it off by heart. Mm. And then be ready to sort of improvise around it, I guess. Yes, hopefully. Although my, my fear is if I go too far off piste, I'll, uh, I'll get myself in the mud or just start swearing randomly. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't do that. So t- t- tell me about the comedy coach. That sounds really intriguing. Um, so JW3 has provided us with the fabulous John Luke Roberts, who um, I've actually... I didn't realise it when we signed up, but I've worked with him before on interfaith events at West London Synagogue um, years ago. And um, he runs a clown school and he's involved in theatre. Um, and I, I met him on the morning that uh, President-elect Trump made his victory speech. And uh, we sort of fell into each other's arms and spent most of our time offering spiritual counselling and political <laughs> guidance rather than uh, talking about comedy. But... Um, it's fantastic to have that support and, and knowledge applied to something that is so new. Well, I guess, yes, like the Trump presidency, very new. So everyone's saying the one thing that is a consolation about the presidency is there's so much scope for comedy, but I guess not if you're trying to be one of a rabbi, an imam and a vicar. Uh, yeah, who knows? I think, yeah, it's one of those things where you either laugh or you cry. <laughs> and um, I certainly did cry initially. Um, and hopefully it will become laughter. And hopefully we'll all be proved wrong and it'll be absolutely fine. Well, let's move back to um, the comedy gig, shall we? And the material that you've got to draw on. So first of all, before we talk about the material that you've got to draw on, there's, so there's three of you. And, and it's actually, it's a rabbi, an imam and a priest, they put it, haven't they, in, yeah. the, in the blurb? Yes. Yeah. Although he is a vicar, isn't he? Yes. Mm. So uh, all ordained Christian ministers are priests ah. and those who work in churches are vicars and he has a community. So okay. he is okay. a vicar. So you haven't actually met 
your namesake, actually, isn't he? The vicar, the priest. Um, and then there's this quite astonishing imam. So, But you know a bit about them, I guess. Yes, yeah, so there's Reverend Stephen Young from Mill Hill, um, who's a Church of England uh, vicar. And uh, Imam Muhammad al-Husseini, who actually was one of my teachers at Leobet College. We had a, a one-term course on Islam, which he taught. So Muhammad I have met, but I don't know Stephen yet, and I'm looking forward to. <laughs> right. So what's your comedy going to be? What sort? Of, is it going to be anecdotes, do you think? I think largely it will be looking at the f- weird and wonderful things that happened to me as a woman rabbi that... I hope don't happen to other people necessarily. Um, you know, the responses I get from people, um, the way people treat me, the inappropriate things they say. Um, I may stray into motherhood and the inappropriate things my children say, <laughs> um, which make me laugh. I don't think they make other people laugh. But um, yeah, we're sort of drawing a thread together of the inappropriate things that happen in one's life as a female rabbi. Have you got any examples yet that you can give me, even if they're not polished yet, the sort of anecdotes that you're going to tell? Um, So I don't want to use all my material up too early, but I'm thinking of talking about my regret around telling my midwife that I was a rabbi before giving birth. (laughs) Um, You know, the things that you do in labour are not the things that you want people to associate with you as a spiritual leader. Um, that's a brilliant one and and he really did suffer the poor the poor midwife uh, so you had a male midwife <laughs> and a female rabbi I mean that starts like that's right yes. the beginning of a joke anyway absolutely um, slightly sort of racist things I've experienced um, uh, and and how I have tried to deflect that back to to, to the the sayer I suppose Um I may tell us a story about uh, my first High Holy Days in uh, a community in the far-flung regions of the north where Yom Kippur afternoon, a very lovely old gentleman, um, put his arm around me when I came off the bimmer for a, a break and said, oh, it is nice to have somewhat pretty to look at on bimmer. <laughs> and I just <laughs> really felt like I might have missed uh, his point for Yom Kippur and I might have... Uh, not got things quite right that day. Um, well, I think you probably made your John Kippur <laughs> and you did exactly the right thing. Um, so, yeah, and I'm pretty sure my male colleagues haven't had to deal with that kind of uh, approach. Hmm. No, no, I can't really imagine someone saying, well, he's t- actually, you say that, I'm not going to name names. We've had a very tasty visiting rabbi from, from Israel lately, and I'm afraid he did send the women in the congregation into a flat spin. And did any of them say it to his face? Possibly not. <laughs> or, or put their hands on his bottom? Oh, is that, no. <laughs> is that what happened? Yes. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't presume. I think that reflects really badly on the putter of hands laying of hands on bottom actually yes, I, for I, a woman. But it, it, you know, it isn't it isn't as uncommon as we would like to think. And actually the, the the way people feel that they can engage with women's bodies is very fascinating. You know, I I lost lots of weight in my final year at the college and people's sense of how free they can be to comment on that and touch you and touch you when you're pregnant or not and comment on how you got pregnant I mean all sorts of strange things yes it doesn't anyone could see me and could see my eyes are kind of rolling <laughs> so I mean my, my husband and I had I've been very public about the fact that we had IVF and we were married already six years by the time our daughter was born um and um I I had a congregant um say oh we're so pleased you're pregnant but I do think you young people rush into IVF far too quickly <laughs> and you just sort of 
wow, where do you even go with these things? The commentary people want to have on your lives is um, is fascinating. <laughs> well, it's I suppose it's a reflection of the fact that they felt easy with you and that you had been open. I think you can see this. I can see the positive side of it. <laughs> Sounds like there's always a positive side. Tell me a little bit then, just about your your background. So you're you're we're here at the Leo Beck. Um, college but actually it, it's we're actually within the part that is what would you call the part from reform judaism where are we starting? so we're actually at the sternberg center mm. right um, so let's start starting the sternberg <laughs> center where the leobeck college is based but also the so this is the home of the movement for reform judaism mm. um leobeck college and the reform movement share um the manor house mm. of the sternberg center um so i do have the privilege of teaching at leobeck i teach a course on uh, world religions and encounter um which i really value um and i hope the students do do um but my my role is at the reform movement where i'm the community educator so I work with 42 reform communities all around the country um, on their education provision. I offer support to day schools um, as a reform resource. Um, and then I find myself trying to represent reform Judaism and, and um, publicise reform Judaism by doing crazy things like stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because we're in a rather wonderful office. So you work out of this office, but you don't have a congregation as such, but you have really, in a way, lots. I do. I, I, I sort of have 42 congregations mm. who I work with in very different ways. I do sometimes go out and spend Shabbat with the community and, and do their services, or I'll go and retreat with the community and be their educator and service leader. Um, so I still get to do some of that uh, to, that prayer piece. Um, I still get asked to do weddings and the occasional funeral, which is lovely. Um, the weddings are lovelier than the funerals, but mm. they're both important mm. uh, privileges. Um, but yes, this is... Um, this is my base, really, and uh, I, I only accepted the job once I knew they could fit all my books in. <laughs> well, yeah, as I say, it's the most gorgeous study, and it's a lovely sunny day, and you've got a beautiful tree outside. It's idyllic, really, isn't it? In a way, you're not just representing Judaism, are you? Because it, we could have easily been a woman priest, but it's not. So you're the only woman. I am the only woman. Um, and interestingly, in interfaith context, that's often how it goes. Um, not all the time, but frequently... I will be the youngest person in the room and either the only female or one of two females. Um, you know, I, I do a huge amount of interfaith work. I find myself in some rooms where I think to myself, how on earth did I get here? This is incredible. And I, I feel very privileged to have enjoyed that, that part of, of rabbinic life to its fullest. But, um, yeah, there is still a way to go for women. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always amazed that... I end up doing the things I end up doing. I do them as a woman, um, and it doesn't always occur to me that that's strange until I'm in the midst of it or someone points it out. But I think a lot of the comedy will probably be drawn from the fact that as a woman rabbi, things get funnier um, because people react to you differently. What do you think the point of this whole well, gig is? It is a sort My of... I'm Stephen Young, and I'm priest in charge of St. Michael and All Angels Church in Mill Hill, where I've been for about six years. And you're about to make your debut doing stand-up comedy. So, I, First of all, how did you ever get into this mess? <laughs> yeah, I'm asking myself the same question, Judy, yeah. Um, I was at JW3 for an interfaith event called Eat Zaggy, uh, which was a way of discussing uh, the differences between the different Abrahamic faiths. And we were doing it over the context of a, a meal and some theatre. And... After kind of rather wholeheartedly participating in this, um, at the end of it, uh, one of the organisers said to me that they were planning this event and would I be interested in being involved in it? And I said yes, not knowing that saying yes would mean that I was actually 
uh, one of the three performers. <laughs> You've been lured in with food. Hey, pretty much. Yeah, it works every single time. And like, and like most clergy, I have a serious problem with saying no. Uh, I don't really seem to utter the word as often as I should. But I, in, in all seriousness, I think this is a fantastic experience. Um, it's, it's been brilliant, a brilliant thing to be involved in. And I'm just hoping the audience are kind. Oh, I'm sure they'll be <laughs> extremely kind. And they may not need to be. They may be falling about. I imagine you'll have them rolling in the aisles, as they say. Yeah, either at me or with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I suppose that's the operative question. Yeah. So what what's interesting to me is any parallel there is between standing on your hind legs in the pulpit or standing on your hind legs in front of a comedy audience, because there must be some. Yeah, I think there is some. I think... Um, when I'm doing my job properly, what I'm trying to do is, ma- is make a human connection um, between people and to point people to God. Um, and I think that's done most successfully by um, the, uh, what I call the kind of, is kind of creative vulnerability, uh, where you have to make yourself the right kind of vulnerable. I mean, there's lots of destructive forms of vulnerability, but the, kind of, the way that people can relate to you as a human being and you often do that through humour. Now, I mean, the, a lot of the humour that I use is actually quite self-deprecating. I knew you were going to say that. I could <laughs> feel it coming on. <laughs> and um, I, I feel that people, if people can, if you can own your weaknesses um, in a kind of creative way, then you help people to own theirs, and um, and that actually that actually helps people love themselves more. And I think that that's you know. That's really what the world needs. I mean, we need to be aware, more aware of how loved we are. And as a consequence, then, of that awareness, we'll probably love other people more as well. Yes, it should be an upward spiral. Mm. So tell me, how have you been preparing for the gig? I hear you've had some sort of comedy coach. Uh, yes, I went for a Cafe Nero um, with, with a comedy coach, uh, which, was, which was excellent. There's uh, a theme emerging here. That's another place <laughs> where there's food and drink. Yes, Um and uh, we discussed sort of um, how uh, underprepared I was, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm now I've now kind of reached that kind of panic mode uh, where um, I now know I need to sort of um, get my act together, so to speak. I have something uh, written down. I just need to sort of practice how I'm going to perform it. As my dad uh, pointed out to me, uh, something's the, something's funnier if it's performed well. So in other words, what the, the actual joke itself is only one part of it. How you tell the joke uh, is the is the crucial thing. Oh, wise words from your father. Does he do good or bad dad jokes? Uh, he do. He does. He does both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you are a dad, and good I dad am. jokes, or even bad ones, go down pretty well in in, in my family. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm. yeah. So have you tried any of your material out on your congregation? Or are you going to if you haven't written it? You've got Sunday, haven't you? Mm, yeah, well, one of um, one of my congregation owns a pub, owns and runs a pub. Um, indeed, she's actually the church warden. And there, there are great parallels between the church and the pub. And her pub has a comedy night. And so uh, next Thursday, um, I'm going to trial this, uh, this act at the pub. Um, and assuming that I live through the experience, then I'll then I'll then, uh, I'll then sort of perform it at JW three afterwards. Uh, so yeah, that'll be a good test. That'll be a good test run. It will be. I, I don't know what answer I was expecting, but not that one. I think that's brilliant. I mean, you're going to be seasoned by next Sunday. Um, yeah, well, I've had I've done it once before. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I bet that's once more than either of the others will have it could done. Be, it could be. <laughs> Essentially, what I'm saying, trying to say through the act is, we've all got our foibles and our idiosyncrasies. And yet, 
in the in the Christian faith, we're, we're all seen as saints. So we gather around the table together. And in the Christian faith, our, our religion tells us that Christ died as much for us as he did for all the another, other annoying people. <laughs> and not in spite of their annoying things, but rather because of all the things that made them annoying. Um, and so yeah, that's, the, that's the central message of my, of my act, really. Well, that's very beautiful, I think. I mean, maybe, maybe it really will be a useful thing for a sermon. I hope so. I, I, I sort of, um, again, I think anything that helps us to love one another more is good and that's why um, I'm so passionate about stuff where we come together as different faiths um, I, I always say you know sort of unless our religion's helping us to become more loving more compassionate human beings then it probably isn't worth very much and what I see in the best interfaith work is it really helps uh, members of different religions to actually connect together in a loving and loving helpful way so, I mean, the very fact that you were at JW3 when you were asked to do this must mean that you're doing a lot of interfaith work. I mean, are you very, you're obviously very at home at JW3 by the sound of it. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be. I mean, I've, I've spent all of my ministry in northwest London and, um, you know, I see it as a particular privilege to um, work out what it means to be a priest in an area which is largely Jewish. I think that's mm. that's something which is relatively u- unique across the UK, actually. And um, I, I see it as a real privilege to work with the shul. I mean, actually, uh, this... Sun- I'm loving the fact you said shul, not synagogue. <laughs> you know, she, here you are. A very, very happy speaker of uh, Yiddish, then. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's great to work, to work with the shul. Yeah, I mean, we, we work with the shul um, sort of at least once a year on Mitzvah Day. We uh, we stand on the local high street and collect uh, food and other goods for homeless actions in Barnet. And I think it's a really powerful witness because for everybody in our community, uh, whether they're Jewish, they're Christian or any other faith, they can see these two faiths standing together side by side as friends, doing something that, you know, is, is helpful to all the community. Now, um, I'm, I don't know how many Muslims there are, um, we're in Mill Hill, actually, aren't we? So in in this area, but it's great. The the imam as well, Muhammad, is um, incredibly familiar with, uh, with with Jewish institutions because he taught at the Leobet College, which trains rabbis. So it's, it sounds as if there could be good relations between all three Abrahamic yeah. faiths. It, that, and that's so important. I mean, particularly with what's happening globally at the moment. You know, is there are more and more forces that seem to be sort of wanting to divide us as people anything that gets us together anything that gets us talking anything that challenges taboos in a humorous loving way has to be something positive absolutely and it would be nice to think that there might be are you, I mean are you going to bring your posse or your clack with you because you know I'd like to think there some be some Christians and and uh, Muslims in the audience as well as Jews yeah I need to uh, sort of in, in my anxiety about the event I've been quite remiss in sort of actually inviting people but I I the, now the fear's taken over. I think, well, I, as, if I can get some people that know me in in the audience, then they'll hopefully laugh and be supportive. So yes, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to inspire people to go out and get a, get a ticket. I'm going to make sure it gets a hard plug in the service on Sunday. Absolutely. You've got two Sundays to go. Those who are undecided the following week may have nothing better to do that evening, which would be very good. That's it, so, yeah. But I'm sure there's nothing better to do that evening. What What could there be? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very beautiful note on which to end. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.